Welcome to the Asian Digital Supermovers interview series on Clubhouse, where we speak to experts, founders, and investors about the Asian digital economy and ecosystem every week. Monica, Mushir, and I, Pratish, invite guests for a conversation about building, scaling, and operating businesses in Asia. Follow our club on Twitter. Our handle is AD Supermovers for providing us any feedback and staying updated on interview series guests and topics. Welcome, Sukanda. Hi, Pratish. Hi, Mushir. Thanks for joining in. Monica is going to join in shortly. Yes. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much for having me over and for thinking of me. I'm hoping that this will be a good use of everybody's time. Oh, it definitely will be. Like We are stoked to actually have you and actually learn. And incidentally, I'm sure you know Abhishek Nag. Yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah. He was actually in one of the AMAs a few weeks ago. Oh, wow. Got yeah. it. Uh, Amazing. Uh, yeah. So, again, the Netflix family has been on Asian Digital Supermovers. <laughs> yeah, we have. And, you know, I'm as much as I'm looking forward to sharing my perspectives, I'm also looking forward to hearing your counter perspectives and experiences as well. So, I like if at any point you have differing experiences or points of view, I'd love to hear those. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. So Monica is going to join shortly. And while uh, we do that uh, with you and also everybody who's joining in, I'll quickly run you through the format. And before we start this AMA, just being clear and saying it out loud that this AMA has been recorded uh, so that everybody is aware of that. The second thing is that how we run the AMA is very simple. For the first 30 minutes, we will be having a discussion with you, setting a stage, understanding your point of view. And then we'll be inviting others to actually come on stage and ask question or put out a point of view. We have seen previously uh, there is good amount of interaction based on the topic and relevance. And also some people come in because maybe they are early on building a product and they may have a very basic, simple question to ask, which you would have probably give them even a solution or a uh, direction to start with. Sounds great. So I think uh, without any further ado, why don't we start with First, getting a bit of perspective and understanding about your career before we dive into asking you further questions. Sure. So I, my career actually started as a software engineer. I worked at Oracle uh, right out of college and I did that for two years. And then I realized two things. One, that I had this undying belief in tech and the idea of scaling problem solving using tech. Two, I wanted to spend more time answering the why than the how. And that's how I got to know about the product management career. This was back in 2015. And I think that's around the time when more and more tech companies and startups had just started building a product management function. I got to learn about it from some of my peers in my network. And then I spent a lot, a good number of months just uh, informing myself about it, trying to form a point of view reading books, courses, whatever was available on the internet just to get an idea of what product management is. And after that, sorry for another day, but at the end of a long series of confusions and failed job applications, I was finally able to make a compelling case for a PM role with the founder of a very early stage startup. This was a prop tech slash messaging app product. They didn't even have a PM role at the time. I had written to him as a happy customer who wanted to work on scaling their product and who believed that she could make a difference as a PM. So we had that conversation, a series of conversations. And I think my I, I had a three-year stint as a student entrepreneur, and I was a writer in the public domain, so to say, even then. So I think that kind of aided that conversation. And then 
yeah, I, then that's just kind of how I got into product management. And so I could say that my journey into PM was sort of a culmination of my all my personal interests and also all my lived experiences in a way. So that's kind of what I how I got into PM. And after that, it's I worked for about a total of eight years in tech across roles, across domains for that matter. So I worked in the product product vertical itself. I worked across prop tech, ed tech, gaming, media now. So yeah, that's kind of been the journey. Well, I think you probably have the perfect product experience. The reason being that you are XEA and now you're Netflix, right? And yes. pandemic actually has seen that Fortnite is now even screening movies yes. and trying a lot of things. So I think a Netflix CEO uh, may have quoted, but it's public information saying that we are competing against Epic Games, Fortnite and Sleep, right? Which is, which is very unique to, to have a perspective. So coming to actually product management and product growth, once you started your career here, what did you learn about the Indian consumer and what are the best practices you have seen while building these products from a gaming standpoint as well as from a uh, content consumption standpoint? Right. So I'd say, you know, I one thing I want to, this is my perspective, but I feel like when we talk about Indian consumers, we we sort of assume that there are gaping differences between Indian consumers and consumers in the rest of the world, which I don't think is true because at the end of the day, what we're building products for is is just human human behavior, right? And th- that is pretty consistent across geographies and agro- across demographics. What does change, of course, is for exa- the tangible factors such as economics or let's say your disposable income and factors like that, which sort of affect your, your metrics, so to say, and just how uh, you're able to build and scale your products. But at, at, at the heart of it, I think, how you build the product and how you think about solving problems using product, I think that doesn't change too much across consumers or across uh, demographics. I think it's fairly commonly known, like even when I was in gaming, it's fairly commonly known that, for example, in terms of revenue, there'll be some differences across across different markets, right? Your revenue per spender or your revenue per user might be different across demographics. But then if that that's the problem, I think it's less about what do Indian consumers want? And it's more about how what what additional value can we provide to consumers in India for our particular product that will make it worth their while to to engage with our product. And I think that will change, like that will vary from product to product, domain to domain. There are some, of course, like just in terms of trends or behaviors, things that we can tap into in order to build that out. For example, Let's just, if we just talk about ads, for example, working just from my days of working in gaming, consumers in India have a higher tolerance for ads, for example, and they might even prefer it for some reason. Maybe they prefer the breaks that they get between the playing sessions. That's not the case in, let's say, the US, where you have to be more mindful of how many ads do you show, etc. And consumers don't, and consumers are willing to pay in order to not watch ads, which may not be the case here. I think, and that's just my my limited experience of it. But I think the point being that as long as we acknowledge that the differences are more tactical or more tangible and less about our consumers who are very, very different from the rest of the world, I don't think that's the case. And as a PM, then the, your job just becomes to figure out what additional value can you provide to your consumers anywhere to make it a better use of their time. Let's quickly reset the room before we go forward. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining in. The room definitely seems to be 
catching up and a lot of people are joining in. Welcome to the Asian Digital Supermovers Club. I'm sure some of you have regularly joined our AMAs. Today we are speaking to Sugandha. She's with Netflix and obviously she is the products expert here. And what we are talking about is how to look for and build products for specifically a consumption product like uh, Netflix as well as she has experience with gaming as we go forward. The three founders of the club, Mushir, Monica and me. Uh, Mushir runs uh, FinTech and DeFi. I do growth and scaling. And Monica, who will soon join us, works on products. So do follow us. Do follow the club. Do follow Suganda as well if you're interested in these kind of topics. So Suganda, I'll probably ask you a lighter question. Which is your most favorite product? And what have you found interesting about it? Don't tell me Netflix. Oh, no, I was going to say that. <laughs> I So I think purely as a consumer, I love the AirPods. I love Google Maps. And biased as it might sound, I love Netflix as well. And I think for all of these products and most of the products that I end up liking, I am fascinated by the intersection at which they're built, right? So I'm, I'm always looking for, okay, what intersection points are successful products built on? Because I personally believe that good and impactful products are built on the intersection of probably two very parallel planes. For example, with these, like with AirPods, with Google Maps, with Netflix as well, I feel that they are built on the intersection of technology and the real and the less technical world in a way. So that's kind of what I what I like about about all of these. But I you know, as unimpressive as this might sound, I actually don't spend a lot of time trying to figure out what went into making a product. I don't know how that, that sounds, but I feel like just based on my experience that as a consumer or as an observer, we almost never have enough information or insight to keep the really nuanced takes on what went to, into making a product. For example, when I used to not work at Netflix, I had so many theories and in that sense, missed preconceptions about what might be happening at Netflix. And I got in here and I, I've just realized that we, on the outside, we just don't know um, enough about what went into making a product. So now more than trying to figure out, okay, how did they come up with this product? How have they built it, et cetera? I'll, I'll, I'm more interested in seeing patterns across various successful products and if there are framework that we can draw out of them, which I feel may be more applicable. But yeah, as a consumer, I love the AirPods maps. It does count. I need to upgrade my AirPods. I will do that. So this is interesting because if you ask, about, if you ask me about product management, a product manager basically sits at the intersection of consumer behavior, technology, as well as, I would say, UX, UI, right? Yeah. And when you're at that intersection, how do you prioritize between what need what needs to be prioritized, which functionalities to be built on, and which functionalities to be thought after or deprioritized? So how do you firstly work across these teams? And I think mm. as famously said, product managers are CEOs of the company or that product at least. How do you look at that and obviously manage yourself through the three teams and how do you prioritize the different right. releases and product upgrades? Got it. You know, I this my my personal philosophy of product management, and this is what I got into PM for in the first place. I, I feel I think of myself when I'm in a PM role or a product role. I think of myself as a problem solver, and I and as somebody who's there to make the lives easier for the other functions. Because I feel like that's the biggest impact that we can drive. If I'm just talking about engineering, for example, I think for tech companies, engineering resource is probably the most expensive resource that they have. We are always short on engineering bandwidth. They're stretched thin, but also there's always so much to do. 
and i make it my responsibility to try and make as efficient use of engineering time as possible if it's a company with let's say deep sales vertical and i worked at one such company as well then that applies to sales as well wherein your sales team is out there trying to drive immediate revenue and the best thing that you can do is empower them in that process so i think of myself as somebody who's there to enable and empower all of these different functions and less about hey here's all of these things that we want to do with the products and we should all just sort of align with that so that's that's just sort of the thinking with which i get into it and then beyond that i think in terms of prioritization i think each pm will come up with the, with their own prioritization framework with their own prioritization philosophy as well and it depends a lot on factors such as what stage is your product at if it's if it's just in the early stages if it's 0 to 1 it's it's possible that you uh, will only go after the things which are going to have a very very immediate impact but if it's in the scaling um stage then it's possible that it will you will benefit from thinking long term as well right so in that sense i think each pm will find that sweet spot like even for me depending on the product that i worked on when i was working on a product where we were just trying to figure out what is the core product it was very different because there in terms of prioritization i would look for features or product ideas that would make a very clear big story right i i wanted at the end of every release to be able to say like for all of us as a team that we built xyz and we had an impact like this but when you work at for a for a product on a product which you are just trying to scale and the proof of concept has already been proven in that sense your your priority would be different and you're trying to you're trying to move the needle on a lot of metrics and on a lot of factors which may be hard to move and which which may be slow moving as well and in that sense you might have to rely on a lot on analytics and data and they, you may not be able to make big stories out of those updates all the time so i think that will change based on what product you're working on and what the business goals are but i myself just get into it with the intent of solving problems for everyone who i can help so that's of course the consumers but also internally for engineering for sales for any of the teams that i work with this is kind of how i think about it that is before we go to the next segment i just want to quickly reset the room uh, hello everyone whoever has just recently joined we will be opening up for questions in 10 to 15 minutes so if you have a question please do raise your hand and we will be bringing you up uh, to stage to ask your questions at the same time if you think somebody would find value within your network on clubhouse do ping them into the room we have probably another 40 minutes of of Sugandha's time here so Sugandha i think the next question i would have is when you build a product team right and when you're hiring for uh, people what kind of qualities do you look for in a product person hmm so this is going to probably sound less related to product management itself but i've i've hired for pms for analysts for ux designers as well and i think all across i look for in terms of just one big thing that i look for is whether or not that's a, like the person that you're talking to can you trust them and can you depend on them to do to be able to work independently because i think most tech companies and tech teams do not have the culture or the bandwidth to be able to you know meddle too much with all of the different areas and in that sense you want to work with people who have a point of view but also who are humble so i look for a lot of the eq if i can call it that i i just try to look for that is this person self aware is this person 
somebody who is able to balance humility with confidence and is this does this person come with an authentic point of view that they're willing to be informed on so that attitude really matters because if you're a, i've seen i've i've met great pms who have really strong points of view but who struggle with you know new information or new points of view and i think that like personally i i don't think that translates really well in the real world unless maybe you're a very very early stage company where you're just building out your new your product from the ground up and in that sense you're short on time you're trying to prove your uh, products merit etc but that's that that eq and that attitude is kind of what i look for and of course in terms of how they speak about their past experience i lo- i look for or i try to mine for their insight into how they can, what how they built the products what went into it etc what how did they face for example any challenges or conflicts that came up we talk at netflix you talk a lot about feedback for example and that's i think a pretty standard question as well that we ask which is a time where you were you received tough feedback and how did you take that and a time when you had to deliver tough feedback as well because i think that's such an important part of culture and i personally kind of align really strongly with that as well so yeah that's that's kind of how i think about it i don't know if if that's that, that's helpful on this question so definitely it is now monica has also joined us which is great hi monica hi monica i am so sorry i cannot apologize more but um, trust me this was absolutely uncalled for in terms of the interruption but so ganda we are actually third time lucky almost yes i was about to say that monica third time is a charm we tried to do this two times before but it didn't work out and amazing so thank you so much i'm so sorry but thank you so much for joining and thank you pratish and no shit for as always being the saviors here uh and thank you everyone uh, sorry for jumping in so late and being and interrupting the entire flow not at all great so let me quickly reset the room and then hand it over to to monica so hello everyone everybody is just joined in thank you very much we are the asian digital super movers club led by monica mushir and me monica looks at building products for asia mushir looks for defi and fintech and i have amas on growth and expansion in the asian uh, context obviously we bring as we say og experts asian founders and vcs to clubhouse on reg- on a regular basis across the week for different topics and different discussions so today we have suganda who is at netflix presently previously at ea and and a product experts so we have covered up till now her journey being uh, a product manager how she thinks about product management how to build a team as well as what her most favorite products are which are airpods pro i think which is i need to upgrade as well monica over to you please thank you so much pratish and uh, suganda i completely agree with you uh, about the airpods pro and i also need an upgrade so pratish please i i'm waiting for my gift from hong kong <laughs> i'll send you my address thank you this perks are not perks but living at living at home for so long and if you're in a punjabi household it's always a little noisy and i was struggling with working from home until i got these things so maybe that's my bias here lovely <laughs> i can't tell you about mine so yesterday uh, sorry i need to break the flow of conversation as i also put my thoughts together yesterday i was live and my mother was uh, was after me to try and eat something in the morning at 12 o'clock so i think the entire <laughs> audience heard me uh, heard her live talking about parathas this happened yesterday so this is absolutely embarrassing but all punjabis <laughs> will understand not embarrassing at all it's just it's just an everyday 
<laughs> absolutely so suganda i spoke about product management and you were talking about uh, your own journey but i would love to delve a little bit deeper because there there are typically a lot of questions that we get now as somebody who's been in the industry for longer i think my journey yeah. is slightly different from yours would love to understand your background and how you actually ventured into product as a career was that a thought through decision and also yeah. uh, coming from an eng background and uh, venturing into product management it's almost like a traditional career path but now yeah. you're in content operations so tell us a little yeah. bit about your journey and for those who are listening in you know how can they learn from this journey and what would you would you tell them if they wanted to follow the same yeah so i some some of it i i shared earlier but there's some like new things that i can probably talk about i think it's a fairly conventional path to take as a software engineer and then you decide that you want to work in my case i was just saying this earlier i i realized two things at the end of my first job which was a two year long software engineering stint at oracle i realized that i still believe i believe very very firmly in tech and its ability to scale and i've always been about scale like i always dreamt of i want to build something that will be used by millions and possibly billions of people so that's kind of the 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 blue sky with which i got into pm and that motivated me for it the second thing was i realized in terms of my day to day i wanted to spend more time thinking about or answering the why than the how so i didn't get to do enough of that or i didn't have enough bandwidth as a, as a developer to spend time about thinking about hey why are we building this particular or why are we why are we taking on this particular problem and how why are we going with this approach versus something else so that strategy versus something else and that's kind of how i started thinking about it and then getting into pm was just like a very old school sort of journey and hustle of trying to find a pm job somebody who would be willing to take a chance and i guess i was confused should i do an mba should i not do an mba should i and then i thought that if i want to become a good product manager there's no better way to learn than to build a product and no better place to do that than a startup and then i met a founder who took a shot at me and i think who I, with who i was able to make a compelling case but i think what what helped in that conversation and in that process was the fact that I was as a student on on campus I built out this new satire publication sort of uh platform you could say an organization we had we had gotten together some 200 students from across India and that was an experience where I got to build something before I even knew what product is and I think at the back of my mind that was still playing somewhere and I was missing that experience and that's kind of how I got into product management and that's been the journey since then that is absolutely fascinating and so ganda now given that you uh, are doing something which is at the cusp of i would say creative content yeah. plus at yeah. the same time it does require a very organized mindset do you feel yes. that your pm training has actually come to help you uh, in what you're doing right now and describe what a day in your life looks like yeah I, i'll do that and you're right about that i think you know i've i've held multiple pm jobs until last year where i worked first at startups and then i worked at ea where i think i really got my vertical learning in i worked very very closely as a as a data pm in some way and after that i realized that for me you know it's always about uh where can i solve the biggest problem though? where can i where, where can i work on the biggest problems and 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 stay close to product as i do that now netflix when i this was last year when i joined them or a year and a half ago actually when i joined them i found this incredible opportunity to be a part of this incredible company when they were just building out their product team in india and they just started building that out and i was one of the first 
few early hires within the product vertical and if you talk about my day to day i you write about that i work at the intersection of product and content you know in the traditional world when launching a film or a show would be as simple as, like it would be handled entirely by a media function but in the ott world there's a huge product component to it in terms of how you launch a title on netflix how members discover that what kind of product interventions do we uh need to do in order in order for members to enjoy the content and also be able to access it and that's kind of what i do on a daily basis i work on the on the original films vertical from india and i work very closely with our content and creative teams as well as the product teams in coming up with the right product experience for a title so that will include things such as what's the right localization experience for this particular piece of content or you know how do we you know how do we make sure that the title finds its audience across the 200 countries where when it takes so that's kind of those are the kind of problems that i'll be thinking about every day in my current role and i think i really i really enjoy it for the reason that i get to be at that intersection of product and creative and in that sense be that bridge and that's kind of what i enjoy most about that that's absolutely amazing but uh, sugandha do you find that uh, there is transferability transferability in terms of your own background versus what you're doing now and maybe like yes. being in a consumer tech industry and now being very focused on big tech but of course entertainment or ott but on the right. creative side and not on the uh, platform side yeah i think it's i think it's been super helpful for me to come with a product background because you know when you are building out a team in a new re- or a new team in in a new region right it, it's helpful for me for example the fact that i understand the product really well i can advocate for it i can in that sense even educate uh people about it so we even when we work with the makers for example helping them understand how their content will be represented on, on netflix for example conversations such as that for me it just becomes because we are part of the product organization we have to be tuned into all of the product innovation that happens what's going on uh, why are we doing it why are we making certain changes and in that sense be able to represent product with the content vertical because if if i think about netflix i think it will turn to vertical there's the product vertical or the technology vertical and then there's the entertainment or the creative vertical and it's very very important that these two functions speak to each other really well so the product team that i'm part of is called creative production and that's exactly what we do uh, and the product background the skills that i uh, acquired for example i think the typical pm skills right you being able to champion for your consumers being able to manage a lot of conflicts being able to stay calm under pressure i guess and also you know being able to speak to different functions in their language and i think that's that's kind of a big part of what pms do and that that all of that comes in handy when i do my work here at netflix very nice Why don't we do this? Let's uh, step into a quick rapid fire before I reset the room and actually go into the other aspects that I wanted to talk to you about your journey at Netflix. Actually, so are you ready? So, can the quick answer? I'm ready. All ready. Awesome. So, technical PM, growth PM, or just PM? Your choice. Just PM, or more like product anything. Awesome. You like work from home or hate it? I hate it. I miss craving for work from home. <laughs> I would say it too. Your mantra to keep you sane in cross-functional collaborations when you're losing your mind because you have absolutely no authority, but you have all the authority. Yeah, for me, that's listen more than you speak. It saves energy and it builds trust in the process. 
Absolutely. And another one, what is a bigger high for you? Identifying and creating a great product requirement or actually getting user feedback? Get Creating a great requirement. I think feedback from users feels great, but mostly it's, it's a fleeting feeling. Tracking a good product requirement, on the other hand, is like the beginning of building something new and good for, for these users. That, that, that's kind of what I prefer. So I'm going to admit something which I don't normally in public, but you know what? People are making all sorts of mistakes in public on Clubhouse. So this will be my FOPA moment. And I will also do this and then claim that I didn't know this was a public room. But I am most proud about a PRD that I wrote in 2009. And I'm oh, glad wow. that it's still being used. And so people ask me why. And that's because it was a, my first India-related PRD that I wrote. And it's still being used. And uh, even in 2019, a person, a product manager who now works on that vertical had actually asked me about a requirement. So I was like, wow, that's the feeling that I want to have. And that's the only legacy I probably left. But that left me very, very proud. No, you're right about that. And that's kind of like that. Those are the moments where you feel so proud of having been a PM, right? And you feel that validation that, yes, maybe I didn't do a bad job of it. Absolutely. Totally agree with you. And uh, Suganda, we have a couple of questions coming in. So for the audience members who are listening in, would love to take some audience questions right now. And then I will, of course, go through the next set of questions and then again, open up the uh, stage for more questions. So I see a couple of hands raised already. So I'm bringing you up to the stage. If there are others who wanted to ask their quick questions, then please do that. However, I'll request you to please keep your questions short and concise so we are uh, not able to, you know, extend far beyond the one hour that we had originally planned for. Hey, Ashim, welcome. Hey, thanks, Monica, for having me. Um, Saganda, great to hear from you. Real quick, just to give you my background, I've been a serial entrepreneur and built fairly interesting products through my own journey. And I actually studied a very specific science called human-computer interaction, which obviously helps you understand how, hmm. you know, humans interact with that. So, you know, one of the questions that I had for you and could be probably from your current experience or your past experience, you know, you're always kind of drawn between taking a decision based on data that's thrown at you, which is kind of where we would typically take a call. And at the same time, I encourage people to keep their eyes and ears very close to the ground, which is listening to your customers, right? And and right. The customers may not necessarily speak the same uh, language that the data is thrown at you. How does one sort of go about solving for that? Yeah, no, that's such a great question, Ashim. And I just want to also mention that human computer interaction is kind of one of the things that I was very, very curious about when I was moving from engineering to product management. And I just found it very fascinating. I took a course on it just to educate myself on how it works. That's just great, great background. I, I think that's such a valid question, right? Because it, it, we talk about data so much these days that it almost sounds as if that's all we're supposed to do, make data informed decisions and spend all our time on analytics. But I've, I found that that's not, that's not always true or the right thing to do. It depends a lot on the stage at which your product is. If you're building a new product, I don't even think that we have enough data or enough high quality data to be able to make those decisions. Just my experience building a, a product, which was more from the ground up, I, I found that we didn't have enough high quality data or even for that matter, enough data, amount, enough amount of data to be able to do that. And in that sense, you know, a lot of the consumer feedback, the qualitative feedback, it actually works at great, as great signals to do that. I also feel that, you know, and this is maybe just uh, unbiased because of the way we think about it at Netflix and what I've seen at Netflix. We, 
we talk about member joy a lot here and that's kind of the anchor to nearly every conversation and no exaggeration on that and ultimately what we end up doing is that that member joy anchor sometimes translates into metrics or data and sometimes it doesn't it translates into the intangible factors like what a consumer is saying about about a particular thing or about a particular product what our partner is saying about it etc so those intangibles are just as important for us to build great products and successful products and i think at the end of the day every business and team this is my opinion but i think we should spend most of our time trying to figure out what our anchor is and then what kind of metrics are right for that particular anchor like i remember when i was at ea we used to do these weekly business reviews and you would think that that was all about looking at numbers and metrics and graphs and charts about hey this is what happened and it was partly that but we also dedicated a good amount of time talking about how are players feeling about this new release and how, what are they saying what are people writing on the player communities and that's where we were often able to find problems that i would have never known about had i just relied on data so i think i think we'll have to balance the two but data definitely helps build that instinct in us i, I think it helps to build that instinct as to i think if you work with data enough and long enough uh, you get to a point where you kind of know uh, a lot of things that are going to come your way and in that sense you you're able to weed through the the qualitative data or the direct consumer feedback a lot more meaningfully so i'd say stay close to data but then definitely not to sideline or in any way undermine the importance of the qualitative signals that might be coming your way that's my perspective on it Thanks, Sudanda. You reaffirmed the way I think. <laughs> Monica, I'm assuming you have a lot more people to ask questions, so I'll probably add a question later on if there's time. But it's in addition to the same piece. Sorry, I lost connection for a second. Thank you, Ashim. Are there any other questions from the audience before I move ahead? Okay, Sheikh has something. Please come up, Abhishek. Hi Sudanda. Hi Abhishek. Hi. Quick question. There is this entire philosophy of of Netflix about meritocracy, and people who are doing extremely well or performing are given a hike, and the people who are not meeting the the bar are asked to or pushed out, so to speak. The the challenge in the Indian ecosystem from a product standpoint is that the number of product managers or quality product managers are at a premium, attracting them when there is a huge fight for getting them so how do you create that culture that uh, you're able to attract the right talent and you know move the bar up if you can talk about from a netflix example great if you can't then you know at least a perspective in terms of how do you really hire the right set of people and be able to kind of retain them at a time then there is a inflation happening wage inflation in terms of and people moving from one business to the other from a product perspective it's a dearth of talent there how do you deal with that Got it. I think I think there were a lot of questions in there, Abhishek. So let me know if I don't capture all of it. But my understanding broadly is that you're talking about how does I guess Netflix hire product talent given the times that we live in. And I, you know, there's the Netflix culture memo is extremely popular. I'm sure that you've heard about it. Most I I heard about it when I before I joined here. And I'd say every single word that you see in here there is is true um, to its word. That's very very close to how. we hire people how i guess i was hired and how any, anybody is hired for that matter netflix i think this is my perspective and opinion i think netflix looks for people who will 
yes, fit into the culture, but also take it forward. There's a line in there about making your colleagues better. And I think that's ultimately what the company looks for. And that's how the company has gotten to the place that it has. By finding people who will take the culture forward and in that sense, say, say, say true to it. The first part that you had about people being pushed out, could you clarify a little bit on that? Like what exactly is the question there? No, so that question was more in terms of if the people are not able to move the system forward, as you said, colleagues, are they pushed out or they go on their own? How does that work? Because it's also not very easy to do, at least in the Indian right. context. If people right. are not able to reach that level, which the organization expects, how does that then work? Is it just feedback and that's how it works? No, I think it's very similar to how you would see that happening anywhere uh, for that matter. Because I think ultimately it, it boils down to whether or not it's mutually compatible, right? And it's not different because all the companies that I've worked at, I've not found it to be like too different here. What What probably is different here is that we are very, I was talking about this earlier, but we are very, very proactive when it comes to feedback. So, it, and it's never as if, oh, today I found out that I'm, you know, out of the blue, something is coming up. That's not the case. That's not how it happens. It's more like there's, you're on your journey. And because the culture is such that you're getting open feedback every single day about things that you're doing well and things that you can improve on, you know how much progress you're, you're making. And when it comes to a point where it's mutually incompatible and by the way, a lot of people, like like in any other company, people will also sometimes leave if if they feel that it's not it's different from what they had wanted at that point in their life, and sometimes people will come back. So all of that happens, and I find that it's very similar to how you would see that anywhere in the tech industry and even in India, for example. And I I'd, I'd say it's actually more empathetic than what I've seen previously at other companies as well. But that's my experience. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Abhishek and Ashim. Let's proceed ahead. I'm going to turn off hand raising for about the next 10 to 15 minutes. And then we'll again have hands, uh, hand raising turned on so that, you know, all of the audience members can ask their questions going ahead. So, Sukanda, there is just, uh, this is a nice segue actually into our next segment because I wanted to talk about habit forming products. And there's been such a huge backlash in, in the last, especially last year since OTT has, and specifically in India. I uh, wanted to understand what habit, for, uh, do you really believe that habit forming products have the potential to change people's lives? Right now, seeing about media and digital tech companies actually creating us uh, into dopamine addicts, and this is helping the big tech money, uh, big tech companies make a lot of huge dollars. Is earning backlash instead of actually helping people also understand that ultimately everybody is a capitalist and everybody is here to make their money, including businesses, right? But I uh, wanted to understand your thoughts uh, specifically on the product aspects and building habit-forming products that actually uh, feed off this habit loop that gets created uh, by the dopamine effects and, of course, by also the reward loop that gets created because you're in incentivized to keep ho getting hooked on and staying on platforms like this. What do you right. think? And how, how exactly does the product framework in your mind work in terms of first principles when you're trying yeah. to build? Yeah. So that's such a, such a heavy question, Monica. Thank you for that. And I'll try to do justice to it, but it's all, it's all my opinions and my perspective. So it might be different or it might not sound right to some people. So one, yes, I, I believe every habit forming product should have not just the potential, but a serious goal to make people's lives better in any way, big or small. 
and based on my own experiences and observations i even go out on a limb and say only products that stay true to their role even end up becoming truly a part of the habit forming category if there is one so that's that's my opinion on it the other thing is i feel like what has happened recently is that we have sort of synonymized habit forming products with addictive products right and i feel that i feel like that's a misconception or that's something that we need to challenge as a hypothesis I don't think social media or tech set out to make dopamine addicts of us. It's probably become a by effect that nobody could have anticipated a decade ago. But then you know, over these years, so many things have changed. Our lifestyles have changed. Our priorities and needs have changed. Societies have changed. The generational power dynamics have been shifting. The environments are changing, and our economies have been changing. And how so? All of this is changing. So sometimes I personally wonder. did tech cause so much of our world to change or was it the changing world that led us to engage with tech as much as we have ended up doing so that's just my uh, one cent on that the other thing is i feel like innovation is iterative you know it's probably even circular there's a pattern to most human innovation where we identify a problem we build solutions to solve that sometime later we find problems with that solution and often due to our own misuse and then we end up solving those problems and on it goes and i feel like that applies not just to tech it applies to any innovation that's ever been done and in that sense i feel like whatever problems that exist today that may have been advertently or inadvertently been created by tech i think they will be solved and possibly by tech itself because that's what the tech industry is actually meant to do it's meant to make lives easier using tech and when it gets that feedback when it gets those signals that something is going wrong it will course correct and that's that's just the nature of innovation and that's my and i think that's just the nature of the universe and tech and humans are such a small subset of it and one one counter perspective i have is that the tech that we color as evil sometimes is many people's only source of com- comfort in in crippling circumstances you know for many it's where they find the fulfillment of self expression that they don't get in real life but many people it's the first place where they come to seek help from strangers and who would have known how often we can need that you know especially we're living in a pandemic how many people right now are posting about looking for plasma donors for example could that have been possible without the tech that we think is out there to addict us and so i i i say a big yes to habit forming products potentially changing lives and i think they already are and the problems that exist tech will tech will solve them that's just the nature of innovation so yeah that that's my take on that do you think monica that answer your question or do you think like we need to zoom in on something more no suganda it absolutely does and uh, actually you've been absolutely transparent and uh, completely appreciate your views and thinking on this because uh, i know tech earns this very bad rap uh, for everything that they don't do or they are expected to do but i think people forget that there is moral and also social responsibility on ourselves to be able to do better for ourselves if we right. expect and give the reins to other people or other things or in this case technology then we are going to be driven by them yeah. but my biggest uh, single uh, source of angst normally is when there are tech businesses are we saying that they shouldn't flourish or that they shouldn't make money because every yeah. time that there is a, a news item that talks about any such big tech company that makes money the first question is why are these products not free but mm-hmm. if you and i all want to make money and live luxurious and comfortable lives 
देन आई थिंक वी शुड बी अलाउंग बिग टेक कंपनीज ऑल्सो बी एबल टू डू दैट एंड दिस सोशलिस्ट काइंड ऑफ माइंड सेट ओनली वेन इट कम्स टू बिग टेक सीम्स वेरी वन साइडेड एंड ऑलमोस्ट वेरी टू मी इट सीम्स एक्स्ट्रॉर्डनरली सिंगल माइंडेड ऑब्जेक्टिव इज टू पुल डाउन दोज पीपल हु आर इन द इंडस्ट्री टू हेल्प क्रिएट बिजनेस वैल्यू and that yeah. for me i am not able to reconcile and i come from a payments background so this the immediate analogy that i can draw is about uh, payments uh, make being uh, monetized and why should you pay for them well somebody mm. is creating the infrastructure so if you don't monetize that then why would they offer the service to you so right. it's as simple as that but uh, yeah. thank you so much this is very transparent indeed and i'm sure you're going to get questions on that <laughs> but i'm also going to tell you one truth uh, which i hate to admit myself that i became so addicted, addicted to netflix that i actually had to stop myself by deregistering and actually deleting my email address because it was a, a bit too much and now that i'm back on i'm actually so much better as a consumer and i have control over myself because i yeah. knew what i was doing and the yeah. emotional triggers that were causing them have now been managed so truth be told ultimately i gave in to that temptation and now i'm back but as a much more informed consumer and probably a better consumer yeah no and, and i think monica that's so true right there is a lot of course correction that we need to do as individuals as well right and, and that doesn't just apply to how we use tech it applies to anything for that matter like Absolutely. it's been an it's been an age like you you know overdose of everything is bad but also i'd also add to that just this perspective that you know we have to keep in mind that often the things that come for free people don't want them you know i I've, i've seen that i worked on games which were built on the premium model and things that were free people don't see it as a challenge right and when people don't see it as a challenge it just it isn't a good use of their time anymore and that's just how it changes and now if you think about a a, a game product for example your your goal for the consumer is to provide them excitement and enjoyment and in that sense make them provide them that escape right from that reality of life but then you find that whatever you build is unengaging for them and they don't find value in it so what are we supposed to do we're supposed to figure out ways that will make it more exciting and in that process if we find that there are problems then i think that's that's where data will help us for spirit like we did that i'll i'll share a story of my experience with working very very closely on very similar problem to this one where i was trying to figure out that you know why were players not engaging with the or you know wh- why why had it plateaued essentially and then i realized that you know we had made the game not challenging enough we had made it too easy and it just wasn't fun anymore for anybody and these were players who had been with the game for 2 years and how do you do you reward them by making it easy no that's not what they set out to do they wanted to make themselves better at a particular skill in that particular game you try to then you try to amp it up and in that process you probably find out that you went too far and i think that's where a good product team will be able to discern when they went too far and be able to course correct and we we did that like we do that and that's kind of how pms optimize a lot of things to like you said find that balance between you know the business goal and that that morality of it as well and i think that that it there's just a natural path to it that we will ultimately all find absolutely and this is a great segue into actually my next question for you so gandha since you mentioned uh, you also kind of 
almost been a data pm i don't say a data pm because i really don't uh, believe that a qualification of a pm by these kind of uh, specializations is probably doing justice to the pm jobs that we do however i wanted to understand are there any metrics especially because you talked about data uh, right now are there any yeah. particular kind of metrics that you look at and you are uh, absolutely trying to amp up or amp down and something that is very meaningful that could also help aspiring pms understand the product management process a little bit more and yeah. uh, really understand also how you measure your own success both of the product as well as of course how you have developed it yourself yeah no that's a great question and i think i like to start by defining my primary metrics based on the stage of the product our consumers needs our long term goals etc cetera, etc cetera. and i think that will be different for each company each product i also like creating composite metrics where it makes sense because i think it it helps get a more holistic view but i would say one should probably stay away from creating composite metrics unless until one has gained some depth of expertise on the product and on the consumer science itself as long as a pm is actively reading out vanity metrics all metrics are valuable and all of them count but i would say the the ltv the lifetime value or the customer lifetime value and most retention metrics in my opinion are fairly strong measures of success but they are difficult to move they often take a long time to get a read on so it helps to have a suite of metrics that one can track and rely on on an everyday sort of basis so for a growing product that could mean something as simple as your dau or your weekly active users or my mau for a product which is already scaled and is in monetization that could mean something like average revenue per user or average revenue per spender but these are metrics that one can track more on an everyday basis to make sure that the product is healthy and it's doing well but long term i i think the holy grail is the ltv and most of the retention metrics absolutely and the retention for retain in terms of retention do you really look at retention in terms of like a particular periodicity or is it over the lifetime of the user completely because right. users also tend to lose interest and obviously keep coming back with different ids and you know over the lifetime of a user especially in digital products sometimes you really can't calculate that so how do yeah. you manage that churn Yeah that's true I think there are a lot of like edge cases to that and I find that churn is probably for me personally I find it the hardest metric to well to discern and to also be able to tell what's happening and in that the, in terms of the periodicity I personally feel like there is a periodicity to it and that's where the pm in, the pm's instinct about the product and the consumer helps like for example for a gaming product for example I would look at the the day two retention even like because we expect or we hope that if, if somebody likes the game they will want to play the next day as well because that's just the nature of the product but we will also look at the day seven retention and the day 14 retention and the day 28 retention in that sense and then but we also know that beyond that it could be a long shot or it could be you know a sl- slower measure of success in that sense so i think based on the product itself how you measure retention will before and that's where i think knowing your product and your consumer really well it helps so for for a very very highly engaging product i think it makes sense to have to measure retention on a short a short period since the consumer first started using the product but if it's if it's something that has a very very um long cycle in that sense the ltv is probably a better measure or or the lifetime over the lifetime of the consumer is probably a better time to measure that hmm. got it
And uh, Sukanda, very last question to you because I know that there are a lot of audience questions also coming in. How and what led you to becoming such a big LinkedIn influencer? Did any of the product management first principles thinking and of course the training that one gets help you into being yeah. the social media phenomena that you are? <laughs> I I don't know if I should yeah I don't know if I can be called that but you know I want to call out there are a lot of it is perception as well you know like. LinkedIn doesn't get to see me in my unflattering moments or the times when I don't have the smartest things to say, and I don't that mean that just for me. I think that's that goes for the internet at large. That said, I think one part of it is my comfort with the written word. I've been writing on the internet for a decade now across various platforms. I used to do this on Quora earlier, and even before that, I used to do this on blogs. I had as a student, I had like this new satire publication that we had created, etc. And in that process and through that consistency of writing i just got more comfortable with it and now i'm i'm at a place now where it's way faster for me to write than to try and find answers in my head and you know most of the time on linkedin i'm talking to myself I, I, people think that i'm sharing my so called wisdom or knowledge but no i'm just i'm just finding answers for myself and talking to myself in that sense The second thing is, I think as a person, I just am somebody who who is often seeking answers in my head, and much of my thinking time goes into looking for frameworks that can help me make better sense of the world. And it just, I find writing is it just makes that process a lot easier. And on since you mentioned the training that I received, I think this is a big part of it, part luck, part instinct, and part hard work. But I feel incredibly blessed in terms of the people that I've. had the chance to work with and learn from i've had great mentors in product but even otherwise i had to work with great leaders who gave me a lot of feedback and i think you know just a lot of nuanced feedback coming my way and some great leaders and peers to learn from and some rich experiences thanks to the amazing companies i've been privileged to be a part of all of it combined it led to some relatable and some useful content i guess No, I think you're being really humble and modest when you say that. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love your posts, and uh, it shows a great so amount much. of maturity, but also, uh, I think conciseness, which I think is the hallmark of a great thinker. Because only when you've written a lot do you know how to write well, but in fewer words, and that's what you yeah, showed. So that's so absolutely. Much. And by the way, we had Avirar Bhatnagar, I think, a couple of weeks before on Pratishe's show, and oh, he yeah. also mentioned that he's been writing for many years. People look at you right now, and they forget the journey that it's taken to. get you here yeah. so when you mentioned yeah. that you've been writing for such a long time i myself corrected myself because i thought to myself that you know this is probably something that you picked up over the last couple of years but the first time i wrote something i had ellipses that ran over two or three lines you know i i must i'm embarrassed to go back to my earlier blogs but i'm just glad that somehow i just stuck to it and i didn't give up and i guess i enjoyed it as well just to find that self expression and that ended up making me better at it so I, yeah plus one to what avril said it's all about consistency absolutely so why don't i go ahead and reset the room we have some audio audience questions also coming in and i'll definitely bring them uh, bring the audience up to ask your questions in person to suganda so you're listening to us on asian digital supermovers if you haven't followed asian digital supermovers the club you can do so right now by clicking on asian digital supermovers rest next to the greenhouse icon at the top of the page and giving us a quick follow also please do follow the moderators and of course suganda so that you can keep listening to such great 
content and keep following them for, for all the rooms that they participate in so that you don't depend on clubhouse notifications for when you know things are happening and your hallway gets populated also we are uh, talking to suganda about building habit forming products and her own experience as a product manager and taking a product management uh, role from being an engineer and now into becoming a pm and now obviously into content operations at netflix she's spoken about a wide variety of topics ranging from her career journey and of course the netflix culture and the more important thing which is about how to create habit forming products that actually help hook the users but eventually are also uh, extremely rewarding for a product manager to build so uh, extremely interesting and riveting conversation so if you had any questions please do join us on stage by clicking on the hand raise icon which is right at the bottom of your screens also we would really uh, appreciate if you would invite your friends in for this last segment of the conversation so that if there are any questions that they want to ask they can come directly onto the stage as well and the way you could do that is by clicking on the plus icon at the bottom of the screen and doing a ptr which is a ping to room and inviting your friends in so in the meantime i'm going to pull up uh, anis anis please join us on stage and if you could tell us a few uh, lines about yourself and then ask your question yeah hi monica thank you for bringing me on the stage uh, so i run a global business for analytics in an ai company and have few products and do work with some of the global customers thing which is relevant to this topic and you know i always scratch my head around the can and should difference and which pertains to a habit forming product specifically when you think about the new age products yes there are a lot of products which are doing good for humanity leveraging technology but and you also spoke about and there was conversation about revenue generation and making money and all of that which is fine but then within those habit forming products where do you draw the line of the can and should and when i talk about you can do it but whether you should do it or no whether it is privacy matters whether these are ethical matters or any of those facets i would love to discuss and candidly share some thoughts as well from myself suganda any thoughts on that you know thanks for the question anis i i think i, I was talking earlier about course correction and innovation being iterative and in that sense whatever problems we might have advertently or inadvertently created as a tech industry i'm pretty sure that we will just sure of innovation is such that we will have to solve those problems and i think it will be tech that will solve those and i think that has already happened the fact that we are questioning it now is probably a testament to that and this here's my personal opinion i think this is where this close partnership between let's say the private sector and the public sector and this these conversations coming up from consumers i think that's where the ecosystem at large is going to enable the solving of these problems even if it's tech that will ultimately solve them so i that's just two cents on that but i'm keen to hear your thoughts on that and which part of it exactly would you like to zoom into maybe now so the so somewhere from a pm perspective or being a product owner or product head somewhere you lose an eye on the ball and you cross that line so how you know have you seen that happening while the dialogue between the larger community can help a pm or a product head to stay focused and not cross that line but sometimes because of either these are company pressures consumer pressures revenue pressures whatever the 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 other or external factors may be 
or it's just a will to try to see how much can you stretch the product to or uh, what benefit can it add but it may not be a benefit it may be a deterrent to the larger community uh, you know how do pms keep themselves in check while you can yeah, have no, it no i think you're right about that i also feel that that may be an maybe a hypothesis that may not be true for every product team or every product company out there but does it happen i'm sure it does but in terms of how can we avoid that and how do we avoid crossing the line i was saying earlier that i think every product company should have an anchor and constantly come up and figure out what are the right metrics that align with that anchor so i was referring to netflix as an example that we talk about member joy here a lot and i think that that's the anchor to almost every conversation here and member joy sometimes it translates to metrics and numbers and sometimes it translates to the qualitative aspects of the signals that we are getting from consumers or or even just problems that we anticipate could happen we have ethical conversations as well as to is this the right thing to do or not and i've seen us do the right thing right and not just here but i've seen that almost everywhere that i've worked so i think in terms of the how do we avoid it i think the suite of metrics that we use or the other suite of signals that we use as a pm or as a product team to come up with our innovations and ideas i think that should be very holistic if we just stick to revenue metrics or revenue numbers then yes it's going to it's we will easily start treading into that territory but if we consider things such as what are your users saying about it what and in that sense question each other right i feel like a lot of a lot of the times we internally as product teams probably are not candid enough with each other and which is why netflix as a company encourages open feedback and i think most great companies do that wherein when you're in a room where you're brainstorming and coming up with product ideas make sure that you have all perspectives count, counted in all right and you're you're talking about how consumers will feel about something versus just how would the numbers look so i think it needs to be a holistic conversation as a product team where we need to consider the tangible as well as the intangible impacts and have and bring in those those diverse points of view because without that it's it's impossible to stay balanced cool thank you thank you anish sukanda we have a question on that we received on twitter and the question asks whether you received any product management training or do you recommend any product management training yourself yeah so i have a point of view that may not be applicable or helpful to everyone i myself i did not get any formal education in product management what i did do was when i was deciding to move from engineering to product management i was considering going for an mba but then i thought that i preferred to be debt free and i didn't do that but then i also thought that the best way to learn product management would be to work to build a product and i think that's where the startup ecosystem is really great at finding product talent honing it and giving opportunities to people who may not otherwise get those opportunities and i think one should one should leverage that i also think i also think that there's a lot of free material learning material on the internet i myself when i how i trained myself or learned i guess was through books through conversations with people who worked in tech or in product i took a couple of courses i was mentioning earlier i took a course in human computer interaction that was a free course on courses at that time because i was just fascinated by okay what areas of product management do i have gaps in and if, and i personally felt that maybe design was something i didn't have any experience or background in so i tried to educate myself more on that and come up with a point of view on product management and just start talking to companies and startups for a product role and just 
um, until somebody was willing to take a shot at me. I guess that's that's been my experience, but I would say it doesn't have to be everybody's experience. I think a formal training can help maybe get more structure in terms of what one has to learn and how one has to go about it. But I wouldn't say it's necessary. And uh, so, Ganda, one other question that's come in. So, by the way, for everybody who's listening in, if you're unable to join us on stage, you can still tweet us your questions or DM us on Twitter. We are available on AD Supermovers. So, there's one question. So, Ganda, I guess there are a lot of aspiring uh, or at least the young uh, college kids who are listening to you. The question asks whether you are uh, taking on mentees. Oh, okay. I <laughs> I never... Heard that before, I guess. I think that's flattering. Thank you so much. I'd love to hear from if they could just drop me a message on LinkedIn or somewhere. I'd love to have a conversation at the very least and see how I can help. Awesome. And uh, I have another set of small questions uh, coming your way before we actually go into and get your closing thoughts. But let me, in the meantime, audience members, if you are still listening in and you had a couple of questions for Sukanda, please do raise your hands. Uh, and I'll come and I'll start with my rapid fire. So right after that. So Sukanda, which of the following have you not tried? Intermittent fasting, zero inbox or digital detox? Intermittent fasting. I can do occasional fasting, but changing food habits, it feels so stressful. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Building in public, yes or no? Yay or no? Uh, I'd say no, unless it's a really niche product with highly engaged early adopters. Hmm. Got it. Books or OTT? How about OTT content based on books? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you get the best of both the worlds. Awesome. <laughs> and podcasts or Clubhouse? I think I've better done. I've done better with Clubhouse than podcasts, but I don't need to work on my attention span more. Like a true millennial. millennial. Nice. And last question, blogs or books? More like books for fiction for me and blogs for nonfiction. For anything academic or to learn. Lovely. This is really great. And anyone from the audience still wants to ask a question? Otherwise, I'll get in closing thoughts. Okay, we do have Vijay. Vijay, please come in. Hi, Vijay. Hey Monica. Hi, Hi Suganda. So I've joined in a little late. So maybe this topic was covered. You know, you guys have probably read about the hooked model, uh, which is very infamously, you know, created by me, Rayal, right? So, you know, if you look at that model, it talks about, you know, a product life cycle where it, it starts with a trigger, it goes to an action, then a reward and investment. And then the kind of the loop is kind of closed again with a second trigger, if you're aware of that. So, you know, when I look at Netflix, I can see the trigger. Okay, I, I have free time. Okay, I want to watch a particular movie. I want to entertain myself. The action is that, you know, I go to the app, search for whatever, you know, content is available, what is trending. And then what is very obvious, you know, I mean, I look at the content, I, I've consumed it, I have gratification, that's there. So what I feel is, you know, that the reinvestment from my side on the platform where there's a, let's say a lack of a community or some, you know, like my friends where I can engage with any kind of you know, review system or maybe even like, you know, how you have this dozens of categories on your homepage where it says, okay, action movies, trending in India, you know, US movies, blockbuster, sci-fi. So, I mean, can I someday see 
uh, a section which says you know movies being watched by your circle of friends or you know like how you have a small thing on zomato saying that okay you know this is this place has been ordered from by let's say a thousand people in the last six months so something like that you know slightly more personalized and maybe get me to do a little bit more of investment in terms of either writing something or you know, participating something so that it kind of you know uh, makes the bond a little more stronger you know if, if you understand what i mean yeah i think i think that's a great suggestion vijay and i'd be happy to uh, take that as a suggestion to the product team as well without divulging too much i, I can say that i think netflix is always looking for ways to make consumers more happy and if what you're suggesting emerges and i'm sure that there might be some amount of testing going on in this area as well but if and when it emerges as something that consumers will enjoy i'm sure that netflix would you know end up building something along those lines as well and i'd be happy to take that as a feedback or as a suggestion as well just one thing on the hook model since you brought it up i think as it's it serves as a good starting point to understand how engagement works but i don't think it's complete or holistic in any way for example you talk if you're talking about netflix right let's say you have the trigger you have the action you know now think about a, a piece of content that you just find boring and it just somehow doesn't work for you no amount of reward i think will make you be able to watch that and complete that right and that's my perspective and i think that's going to be extremely true for products that are intersectional in nature so products that are let's say not pure software living inside your phone in in that sense i think that model is probably incomplete or not holistic at the very least but it's a great starting point to start talking about how engagement works but it doesn't work for it also doesn't work for everyone i remember somebody uh, a long time back was talking about a finance product and how they wanted to their the question was how can we make our users open our app every single night before sleeping and i just was like but why would you want that or why do how do why do you think that's a legit problem that you need to solve for your consumers uh, do you think you have functionality that supports that kind of that kind of engagement and i think these questions also need to be asked because if we just follow that model we'll just end up applying gamification principles or things like things like that to every product that may not even benefit from them that's just my perspective on that yeah so suganda i think you know you're right it doesn't really apply as a blanket principle to every product that you're yeah. spot on on that and i think what you mentioned about you know thinking this way that okay do we need to get customers back on the platform every single night before going to bed that's yeah. i think uh, a misplaced way of you know kind of thinking about a product because it yeah. it depends on what kind of return you know kind of return ratio you want for your customers uh what i was more kind of you know alluding to is that you know let's say for example when you said about you know uh, you find some content boring so there is also in my opinion a, a small amount of you know kind of guilt which kind of comes out when you find something boring it's not only on the platform you sometimes also blame yourself that you know you probably made a bad filter or a bad choice you know and you would have probably improved that filter a little bit at at my personal level so i yeah. think you can still kind of even after that you know bad content still move the customer towards the trigger phase that's just my yeah. thought you know and mm-hmm. uh, what will happen is you know i mean if i look at uh, my phone and if i look at my folder of ott i have like you know five apps now uh, what makes me go back to netflix as my primary choice over and above you know other ott that's 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 the, that's a small you know kind of blurry line which i'm just trying to understand you know if you can build that you know just yeah. trying to think out loud here yeah yeah no that's that's a great suggestion vijay thank you so much sure no problem thank you
thanks Vijay for your question. Hi Karan, please tell us a little bit about yourself and then shoot your question. We'll request that you keep it short and concise. Yeah, thanks thanks a lot Monica. I'm working as an employee in a fintech company. And our company deals with our cryptocurrencies. And Sugandha, so I have some questions for you that is piracy is not a big concern for Netflix. I think piracy Hello. is a concern for Yeah, I can. Yeah, I think yeah. piracy and plagiarism for that matter is a concern for all all content based products. Because we we are uh, working on a product uh, using a blockchain that will we are trying to overcome this problem. So what's your opinion on our product? Will this be a good in the future? The problem statement sounds great, but I think without knowing much about the product, it's hard for me to comment on that. Problem. Okay, because we are also on a very basic level, so I can't just tell you because some things are there which I am not yet clear. So that is why uh, Karin, I just but, want. Uh, it would... hmm. Karin, it would be uh, unfair for uh, Sugandha to also comment on this without knowing and yeah. understanding. But if there are more details that you could provide. I'm sure that somebody from amongst us could also help. But best of luck for your product and for the okay. launch. Thank you. Thank you, Karan. Hi, Akriti. Welcome. Hi, Monica. Thank you so much for having me. I'm based in Hong Kong and I'm in sales and marketing for a fintech consulting firm. So, Suganda, my question to you was that you might be getting a lot of ideas for pro- project features, product features and things that you should add. And I just wanted to know from you, what are your best practices and tools that you use in terms of prioritization and product management, especially since you have maybe having so many features and so many ideas to execute? How do you really prioritize and other any tools that you would suggest yeah thank you Akriti. that's a great question i think it's hard for me to answer that question concisely but i would say that i think one is it's, it's important to know your overarching goal at any point of time so that helps you at least bucket your different suggestions and ideas that are coming your way for example the product that it's in that is in its growth stages suggestions and features that are coming up within that bucket might hold a little bit more precedence compared to the others so in that sense being able to bucket the larger impact of of any of all of the different ideas or suggestions that you might have on your roadmap or on your backlog i think that helps the other thing is in terms of prioritization it's important to of course weigh the impact against how much of an investment it would be to build it out and in that sense, also have a testing mindset, right? Be open to that. So sometimes maybe something has great promise in terms of the kind of impact that it can drive, but it's extremely um, expensive to build it out. So you might want to use operational levers, for example, or, you know, more sort of dirty prototypes and, or even just like quick, quick versions of just sort of testing out the impact of that particular feature and seeing what kind of response you're getting to that. And if it, if the response to those tests are, are great, then I think then it helps to know that, yes, this is something that's worth investing into. So I think at the end of the day, you will, I, I would most of my, most of my day, I would end up trying to first bucket all of these ideas and suggestions at a very high level in terms of what area of the product or of the consumer's life rather. Would they, would they impact? So I like to, for example, articulate what's going to be the value add for the consumer. 
and what's going to be the value add for the business. And in that sense, ideas that are a value add on both counts, they might end up weighing more than the others. Those are like very high level principles that I try, I like to use to very, very, uh, like at a very high level to sort of sort my ideas and suggestions and that are coming in from other teams as well. And then talk to the engineering teams, talk to the sales teams, whoever is going to be impacted or being able, who will be able to contribute to it about how much investment would it be? Is there a chance to sort of build it iteratively? Is there a chance to maybe A-B test it? So I think the approach would again be very different. Sometimes you can operationally test something out as a hypothesis. But I think the ultimate principle is that treat everything as a hypothesis. No suggestion is written in stone or no future ideas written in stone. I like to articulate all of my ideas and suggestions and even the ones that come from other teams as hypothesis. And that brings a certain amount of science to how you do it. So once you start out as a hypothesis, you know that the next step is to figure out ways and how do how do you test that hypothesis? How do you validate that? And then you just prioritize according to that. Does that does that help, Akriti? Yes, that, that really helps. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, and very last question from Ambuj, and I'm turning hand raising off now. Ambuj, please come on stage. Hello, am I audible? Yes. All right. Hi, Soganda. Hi, everybody. I basically lead the PNL for you know the online channel of one of the product categories of an electronics company. And uh, first of all, a big thank you to you, Suganda, for your sharp thoughts and kind of uh, demystifying the whole product game, which remains a black box for many. That being said, I am considering building a language-based edtech product. You can think Grammarly, you can think Duolingo, and less of a Cambly, right? So now the qualitative signals that I have got so far to make something which is 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 kind of to make something which is short, sweet, snappy, and possibly gamified. And I can't can't think of any examples to sort of anchor my product on. It's possibly a zero to one inception that's required. And I just wanted to know from you, given your ed tech and gaming background, how how would you go about it if you were in my situation? Thank you, Ambuj, for the kind words and also for your question. I think it's a great one. And I think this is where it's going to be super important in terms of how you define your target audience my experience in edtech i can say that what you are talking about in terms of what you're building would be super helpful for the edtech industry i remember looking for solutions that could help us achieve that know that the like because the edtech industry is so operationally intensive as well uh, especially on the content side something like that would actually really help companies which maybe do not have uh, the resources or the bandwidth to invest in that full on so but that's a very different audience right because then you are catering to right maybe enterprises or edtech companies and it's a very different and in that sense you don't need to build something that's short and snappy and in that sense uh low on attention span you need to build something that will solve a core problem in a very deep and a very reliable way but if you're building it for consumers that's probably going to be a different game altogether and in that sense if i were in your place i would list down what the use cases are if i go about mm-hmm. building for each of these each of these audiences and what seems more valuable for consumers for solving that particular problem and then to you as a business as well. Just at a high level, that's what I can probably add. Sure, sure. Thank you, Sudan. That's helpful. And just to add, I mean, for me, the kind of the, the market I'm trying to address, the TG is radically different from your conventional edtech startups, such as a Baiju's or maybe even a Vedantu. It's probably, just to give you a hint, more suited for 
people who are mostly at home and are in let's say tier three or tier four cities such as housewives etc looking to improve probably make a buck at the same time not indulge in a product which is too intensive and serious yeah so got it it sounds like it sounds like you might be building for the educators then more than the education companies and i said in the past that i feel like there's a lot of edtech companies that are building for consumers but not enough that are building the teachers who are going to teach those consumers so something like that could be right, right. could be very beneficial and i hope that you build it out really well and you succeed in that sure sure thank you so much thank you all the best to you ambuj and thank you for asking your question thanks monica So thank you so much, Suganda. This has been an absolutely riveting session, but we're not going to let you go. Probably get some closing thoughts from you. But before I do that, we'll just do a last reset of the room and tell everyone big and thank everyone who's joined us right now for first of all helping me through this interruption that was very well managed by Pratish and Mushir, who are uh, the co-founders of Asian Digital Supermovers. And if you want to keep uh, listening to great content, then do please consider following the club. and the moderators and of course sugandha so that you can keep listening to this uh, kind of content we have a lot of great speakers lined up for next week starting from monday we'll be announcing that over the weekend if you wanted to know more please do follow our properties on linkedin and on twitter specifically twitter where we announce almost uh, on a daily basis as to what's coming up we normally have our new show every week on wednesday at 7:30 pm in which we cover the asian digital economy and what's making the news it's very short concise news segments and news headlines that we are covering if you wanted to join in or wanted to also talk about something that is making news in your region or in your industry please do join and we'll be happy to pull you on to the stage also i have this building for asia series which happens every saturday and next week guests is also a very exciting speaker so uh, please watch out for the flyers when they come out in the meantime thank you suganda for joining us in terms of closing thoughts wanted to understand while you have a long career ahead of you and obviously a lot will happen over this career where you will probably take on a lot more roles either in product or adjacencies associated with product what would you like your uh, legacy to be I think I was telling Prithish this earlier, but I this is the goal with which I got into product in the first place, and I think it still is the legacy I I hope to build. And I want to build a product with a huge footprint of mine that will make life easier or better for hopefully millions of people across the world. Anyway, that's just how I can probably articulate that. that is the most amazing and that, and i hope and i wish you all the best because Thank building you. for a billion or plus consumers is going to be one of the most difficult jobs and it makes life very easy for me as a speaker where i have to ask this question but i don't have to answer it so <laughs> i i i would love to hear your answer the monica <laughs> i have like built for a bit so the best part about me suganda is that i am an indian i've actually never built an india product so i don't know how whether i should be ashamed about this or whether uh, no. i should be feeling sorry about it but somehow my no, ideas think... have never been released so <laughs> i have some bad luck no there. i think i i honestly think that if we are going to really build for india we need all sorts of diversity in terms of the people who are going to take a shot at it as well it can't be just a close group of people building for each other that's my personal take so i think your perspective is just as valid if not more and i look forward to everything you would uh, end up doing in this space 
so absolutely thank you i'm someday we will talk about this as well and our uh, chat is long pending so um, i'm very yes. glad that we finally got to speak <laughs> and i heard such amazing content you are actually riveting on audio format as well and i say this very little about people because when you're so used to reading them on text it's very difficult to form a connection over voice and probably no, one thank- of the very few people thank you it's thank you so much monica that's really kind of you and i think it also depends on on who is moderating the discussion i guess anybody else i could have easily been not my best self but I, you made it so much easier for me to just be myself so i thank you for that i thank pritish and mushish for that and for this forum and for everybody in the audience who was very kind with their questions <laughs> thank you and i leave one last thought for everyone uh, if you're not following sugandha on linkedin then you're really missing on some great content the last blog she wrote about product managers and what she describes as a framework is really riveting it's something of a long read but i recommend it because it gives her learnings very transparently out it's very difficult to share especially when you keep questioning whether this is right because product management is art it's a science it's a discipline it's it's a culture it's everything do read it and do give it a share it's really really well done and thank you sugandha i'll keep coming back to you hopefully we'll get you back again please take care and have a wonderful weekend all of you thank, thank you, you monica i am flattered and thank you so much for this discussion i really enjoyed it thank you take thank care you. everyone bye bye If you enjoyed listening to the interview share it with your network and you can also leave a review on our Twitter page our handle is ad supermovers